How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 46. Whoa, man. We're getting there. We're getting there. What are we getting there to? I don't know. Oh. Just in life, in yeah. general. How are you, Jake? Um, I'm not bad. We've had a pretty insane week. We uh, had an insane week, but I cannot be more happy right now. I'm elated that everything's over. Right, yeah. The dust has really settled. Well, and yeah. I finally got to go back and really start to get back into watching movies. Nice, nice. Like, and to get back on a sort of a career, I know we haven't, we're not starting with the career stuff, but we'll get to just, that eventually. Yeah, um, just <laughs> to get back into a positive, creative mindset. I think that's, that's good. That's where I feel, and I like only having like shorter days and and having a really fun weekend like we did, mm-hmm. and and you know just getting back to watching movies for movie's sake. Because right, of, exactly for like some sort of required viewing. Or... Yeah, going back to what I enjoy, which that's is talking good. about movies. Well, that's the thing because we finished our again. We'll get into it later, but we finished our course basically officially. Yes, I suppose so. Like that. That's it. We've, if we don't fail, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If we don't fail, which we'll we'll see. I assume some some units. I still got marks like at all for mm. any any of none of my units. Yeah, it's, it's none, none, zero. Damn. So that is. See that that's that's what we have to deal with. We don't have to deal with anymore. Hopefully. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but we're not <laughs> here to talk about marks or university, Jack. We're here to talk about movies. Movies on this podcast. Did you catch outrageous. anything in the last week? I caught a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, I might as well start with this because this is a totally on your record. Mm-hmm. So we stayed over the other night. We were talking, celebrating, drinking. And we watched Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Yes, and I want to point out this is going to be a thematic uh, thing with me, with uh, following Disney Plus being introduced, <laughs> and pretty strong words put against Disney Plus before it released. On this show? Um, yeah. Although, I be it, I don't pay for it myself. Um, uh, <laughs> Just looking at me. <laughs> uh, but um, Can I, I put my statement out now, then, before you yeah. progress? Because I do want to publicly... Apologize to the world for yes. going back on my statement pretty early. I have paid for a Disney Plus subscription. Well, actually, I think I think I'm still on the trial, but mm-hmm. I'm but I'm set to pay for it. Now, I promised I wouldn't do that. Wouldn't give Disney my money. But here's here's the Kickstarter because my brother pays for the family Netflix and my sister pays for the family Stan. So it right. is it's my turn to contribute, and unfortunately, it has to be Disney Plus. Um. I would have rather paid for the stand, but that's okay. We're all helping each other out in this little in this little worldwide world mm-hmm. of ours, you know. Well, you are yeah. correct. We did actually all watch Atlantis together because I grew up with Atlantis, and mm. uh, the other person uh, who we watched the film with, Oliver Tool. That's right, I watched Ali. Um, <laughs> I was trying to remember who we watched. Uh, <laughs> he also grew up with this movie, and we both speak very highly of this film. So, what was your verdict on your first viewing? Um, yes, yeah, so I've never seen this before. Because um, we've all got our classic Disney's. Like I grew up on the the Lilo and Stitches, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Good, Empress good New film. Groove. You know, I like all that stuff. I never saw Atlantis though. I thought it was good. I was. It sort of slotted itself in a weird transitional time for Disney. It was uh, 2001, I believe. Yeah, where we were really coming to the death of the 2D animation yeah. sort of era. Um, CG was big. This was like the same year Monsters Inc. and that Shrek, mm-hmm. I think, came out on that year or just before it. Uh, yeah, so you're right. It's a bit of a transitional period, and you say that this was 
I'm sure it was well received. Did you say that this just didn't? Mm. It's underappreciated. It, yeah, it was like really. I think it's got a relatively positive like reviews, but most people haven't watched it nor nor seen it. And yeah, it really is under underappreciated because it's a tight script. It's good script. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of good film. ideas. Um, some great voice performances, particularly by Michael J. Fox. Which yeah, is I because you didn't know that was him. Nope. And I two minutes in, I'm like, whose bloody voices? I just knew, and I had to look it up. I was like, mm. Michael J. Fox, you're right, he's great in this. Yeah, and the, you know it's funny. Um, our guest last week on the show, Danielle, mm. when I sent her a snap oh, about us watching snaps. this film, yep. she just knew it was Michael J. Fox. So it must be a pretty general consensus. So believe it or not, on Rotten Tomatoes, this film has 49% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. So, but on Roger Ebert, it got a 3.5 out, out of, of four. four. There you go. So. I don't say what you But will. you got to remember, this is in a pre-Rotten Tomatoes world when this came out. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hate Rotten Tomatoes mm. as like a... Yeah. As I've, like a general... I think Metacritic's yeah, I was about a better say, version you of that. Metacritic? Yeah, because it's, it's actually... It's weighing numbers. It's not just weighing thumbs up and thumbs down. Look, I, um, I understand why... You're right. It was in a transitional period, so it became mm-hmm. underappreciated for that. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. The performances are great. The animation's gorgeous. Like, some I, of the stuff in is incredible. It's insane. Yeah. But I think uh, I have that skewed look because I didn't grow up with this film. Yeah, so, so I'm what, looking what, at it from what a were the problems lens. that you had with the I didn't the film. have any problems with it. It just it didn't really speak to me. I was like, okay, okay. That's, it's a nice story. Um, but I think that, it's like that with a lot of Disney stuff. Like, I mean, we can talk about The Lion King. I think The Lion King is exceptional. Oof. But again, I grew up on it and... Again, it's the same thing. The, the performances are great and the animation's great yeah. and all this stuff. Um, and it's highlighted in the new one um, mm-hmm. what works and doesn't work because they do all the things that don't work in the new one. But I, I it's just a skewed perspective because I didn't grow up on it. Yeah, I didn't grow no, up on Atlantis. Absolutely. Um, I found that, um, and I have to cite this because I'm going to be talking about a lot of these sort of films this week because I've actually okay. really been ploughing through a lot of... Uh, yeah, Disney uh, repertoire. Well, I guess this is what Disney, just the Disney 2D animation, really, right? Mm. That's just how you describe it. Um, and I don't know what put me down this rabbit hole, but, I mean, as you know, when you go to YouTube, there are some amazing video essays out mm. there. Um, and um, I don't know what started me watching them, but I have to, like, cite her, um, Lindsay Ellis, who does a lot of very... Disney orientated video essays. Okay, I watched a lot of her stuff. I I, I know what started it. it. Actually, was to do with the Hobbit. Um, oh, you're telling me about this, yes. And how she went on to do it was a three part series, and it morphed more from a video essay into a documentary, which I really liked. Um, sort of a pseudo documentary, her mm-hmm. explaining all of the dynamics as why a lot of things worked and why Hobbit essentially failed. Right. Although. It's really weird. Every time I bring up the fact that I think Hobbit's a failure of a, a franchise, I always seem to get people that have relatively positive reception to those films. I think I, I told you the other day as like a joke, but also true. It's like, I think I, I like... Did I say exactly 50% of the trilogy? Yes. Did I say? Yeah. Because um, I really like the first one. I really like the second one um, in parts and whatnot. I didn't, I didn't give a shit for the third one. Mm. But the main factor here is I, never, I still haven't seen The Lord of the Rings. So that's that whole world. I only know through the whole the Hobbit trilogy, especially the films, not even the books. So I have that soft spot from the the creative filmmaking tonal mm-hmm. side of it. I really love the tone of of the first one. The um, what's the subtitle for it again? 
Uh, an unexpected journey. Unexpected. I knew journey was in there. Unexpected journey. I really like that one for the tone. I really like the second one for like a lot of the exciting moments. Yeah. I think like the barrel stuff's a little ridiculous, and have little GoPros in there look look horrible. Like so those silly. shots look horrible because it's all. I, I yeah. think it's the the campiness. It gets a bit ridiculous, and then the callback gotcha. characters to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, which I wouldn't have picked on any of that. Is, is so, yeah. a, it's so saturated, and it ends up being kind of just a big hot mess. There's a lot of amazing. Like she really dives into the fact that a month before the first film came out, they decided that's when it would become three films, not two. Wait, seriously? A month before the first film debuted in cinemas. Whoa. That's, That's insane huge. to think about. Like, I think we just had a swarm of fish in the hallway. Yeah, Do you hear that? But <laughs> no, um, I think I think there's kids walking around, like yo, high school students. Well, can, Let's tell them to get out of here. <laughs> Brace yourselves, like in the barrel. Yes. And, like, oh, and they, they fall down. <laughs> and yet, like they're, they're they're not destructible except that one dude who gets shot in a leg. Like, just think oh, yeah. about like, oh. how indestructible all the characters are in that scene. Yeah, uh, one guy gets shot with an arrow, and we're supposed to care about. Isn't it's like one silly. of the elf dudes like jumping on the heads? Yeah. It's like, oh, ow, ooh. It's like seven dwarfs. Fucking stupid. Uh, look, I but, gotta watch Lord of the Rings, and then I'll rewatch all the Hobbits. I, That's what I'll do. I think why uh, I wanted to really show you Atlantis was yep. to and uh, once again it's going to be a reoccurring theme um, the films that I watched this week from Disney were the ones I didn't watch as a kid and sometimes I'm kind of happy I didn't watch them as kids because okay. some of the films I watched this this week they weren't for kids and I don't understand why the one I want to well, talk which, about which is ones the, did you watch? The Hunchback of Notre Dame now this okay. is a film I did not see as a kid I remember on the VHSs when the ads came up, it was one that did get shown quite a bit. I'm going to have to look this up because I can't even like visualize the film right now. Oh, okay. What's well, it called again? Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay. So I feel I, like I, I should it, just you know this. You haven't watched this one. No, I have not. I um, don't even... Oh, wait a sec. It's I'm about to load the pictures. Oh, I'm an idiot. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I the iconography's there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about so, now. So... This film uh, was based off a book written by a dude in like the eight, like mid eighteen hundreds, right? Okay. And it's <laughs> yeah, essentially, it essentially, is kind of like a, a darker, more realistic Phantom of the Opera esque situation. Okay. Deformed man lives in tower. He's musically driven. He falls in love with a really attractive chick, but pretty boy always <laughs> gets as it. Simple as that feature. I was just um, telling you about yeah, what I'm writing. <laughs> But this is like That's next bad. Yeah, but, I'm um, kidding. I'm kidding. And <laughs> seriously, dude, in the first five minutes, there's a guy who's going to throw a baby down a well. Nice. And like he kills someone. And Kill like them. there's some like huge that. like the the bad guy in this. His name's Frollo. <laughs> I'm not even lying. He's not even like Disney evil. He's like evil evil. Like you know, like, this is the like, hero though. This guy, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I've definitely seen him around with his little face. And, and it's like. Blah, blah, blah. It's it's really weird because it's like the tone, the darker stuff is amazing. Like there's some amazing. Okay. It's and I bring up Phantom because it has the opera singer style, mm-hmm. like like the songs that are sung. They're sung in an operatic fashion where it's more big orchestral flourishes. And yeah, stuff. sort of equivalent to. Um, well, there's nothing quite like it in the 90s. Like, Aladdin has very, like, Back contemporary songs. Mm-hmm. And Beauty and the Beast has very kind of contemporary songs. Maybe a little bit of operatic in there. But... The Lion King definitely has contemporary. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, this one was a bit of a tonal shift, and it really doesn't stick. 
Because, like, oh. the, the really dark stuff is incredible. And the animation, once again, really good. But I think that was a part of the fatigue, is some of the animation in these 90s films, they all look good, and they're all timeless, and the right. remasters they've done on Disney Plus are great. But This is 96. Yeah, that's a good point. These um, films are gorgeous on Disney Plus. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I can't always keep saying the animation's gorgeous, because that, if they all look good, then it's like... Well... Some okay. are gonna look better than others, though. Fundamentally, These, from the ninth, from Beauty and the Beast onwards, that mm. ten-year period between all the, like I can't name one of those two D animation films that doesn't look good. That's fair. Um, and so then it comes back to the music, and some of the music is like I was like jaw dropped. I was like, this is really good. Mm. Um, however, the comic relief characters, like all of these Disney films, have some of them fit really well. Yep, like in Lion King. Or in like the Beast. and whatnot. Yep. And in this film, they <laughs> do not at oh, all. Oh, no. At all. They fit. Because this is not a kid's story. Like, right. Oh, man, i got to show you a scene after the show, and you tell me this feels like a kid's film. Okay. Like, the bad guy literally calls Quasimodo, who is facially deformed. Yeah, I can see. I can There's see. There's literally, that, yeah. <laughs> like, words to a song, and he, they do that thing that operatic uh films do where they yep. sing the words very like Les Mis. Yep. Um, kind of but thing. they're singing like lines rather than like... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not necessarily a song. And he literally says like, you're deformed and you're ugly. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, this just feels this, wrong. Was this one of the, the ones where you open up on Disney Plus and it's like, oh, the, the cultural blah, blah, blah. Because they have those warnings now. For certain films. I don't know if there was one for this one. No. Um, there probably should have been. But, I mean, this comes back to, like, I just <laughs> I mean, got more caught, of a racial caught thing up than, watching yeah. these, like, Lindsay Ellis essays. And because I watched her essay on this, it actually triggered me to watch the film. Gotcha. So, and I think that's kind of the point of video essays for things that you haven't seen that cre- they create well, intrigue. It, yeah, well, it's to create intrigue. It's to point out stuff that you wouldn't have otherwise thought about. It's to make your point. Exactly. But, I mean, I think even without her essay, I can see that this is a tonal roller coaster that was trying to get the best of every world. And um, I think that was a problem for them in the 90s is they had to try and get this balance between the heavy, heavier mm. stuff and, you know, that lighthearted marketability, you know. Who really gotcha. wants a Quasimodo action figure, a deformed hunchback? I, I do. No, I it's, don't know. But you no, know, you're, you're right. I mean, it's an iconic... Like, I'm looking at the character right now, and I'm like, yeah, I've seen that character, like, around. Oh, trust me. If this had been, like, bruh, we're doing an M animated version of this, it would have been perfect. Like, if it right. really pressed on the more adult thing. Maybe not M, PG, because it was G. Like a hard P. It was G. Okay. Like, and it was like... <laughs> I don't actually know how it snuck under G, because there is, like... I want you to go, if you can, right. squeeze okay. it in, give it a watch, and tell me how you feel about it, because... This film was really fascinating to watch for, like, I'm sitting there, I'm going, I don't know how, a, like, if I would take my six-year-old to watch this film. Damn. Because there are some really, like, there's the church stuff, the devout faith, the temptation, the the racism stuff. Right, Because the yeah. whole thing is, like, the bad guy, he hunts down gypsies who are Romani people, which are immigrants right, to yeah. France. So, really... And it really, like... Sounds a bit full on there. <laughs> what I don't understand is these things are always adaptions of novels, and the novels are so dark. How does someone go, this should be a good kid's film? Like, how does, like, a 50-year-old man read the original novel <laughs> and go, like, some old this boomer. would be great for kids? Yeah. However, we brought up Atlantis and this film. 
I think these two films would be really good live-action films. Mm. Or have the potential to be really good if they weren't Disney-ified. Yeah, no, I see, I see what you mean. Like a kind of a more funnish adventure. Indiana Jones site. Because oh, Indiana especially. Jones has some weird tonal shifts too. And who do, who do we decide that would be a really good Milo? Like, it's got to be like... Oh, um... It can't be Tom Holland anymore. We agreed it was um, Jay Bushnell, right? That's right. Yeah, that's who we were talking about, yeah. Um... And I but, think yeah. with Hunchback, I mean, you could you could do a really. This has had mm. multiple uh, Oscar-winning uh, adaptions sixty years ago. Like there was a gotcha, yeah. nineteen thirty-nine Hunchback of Notre Dame, and that won an Oscar. And I I would Damn. love to see. I mean, they wouldn't own the rights to the novella, so surely like well, they it's could, probably in free public domain now. It's surely it's because it's, it's what seventy-year jump. Yeah, something like that. Put it in the Les Mis school of grim musicals and it would work. Mm, so. That's interesting. Well, it's funny you mentioned because like um, uh, Atlantis as well, we were doing a body count, the amount of people who died during that film. And that's what it comes <laughs> back to. And like there was this tonal inconsistency. There'd be people like, this guy is like literally going to kill this deformed guy. And it's like, he's like, if you look up Frollo from this, mm. he is demonic looking and he like wants to get with the chick of the film, right. but he's like creepy about it. He's not like... Gaston is with Belle, like a stupid, yeah. dumb jock boy. He's like, I get all the ladies because I'm really pretty. Right. He's like, creepy old man, creepy, like <laughs> sniffs her hair. Like he sniffs her hair, dude. I do that all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> a, it was a fascinating film. But yeah, I would like to see maybe a live like adaptation of this, like a real live action one. And you direct it? Maybe. Maybe one day. <laughs> I always wanted to do a musical. Right. It's actually something. It's like that a dream would, for me. That would be me. your musical. There you go. It'd be a dream for me. An can operatic I, musical would definitely be. Can I be sing it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jake. I know we've been stuck on this for a while. No, so. no. It's a, what, any other like Disney films you saw specifically? Treasure or? Planet. Ah, I still haven't seen it myself. So this is one that the world has been screaming at me to watch because it's the most. The under, it's debatably the most underrated. Uh, animation of this period of time. I've heard that, yeah. Um, because it was the most expensive. It was $140 million. What? Yes. And That's insane. it's the first one that didn't make its money back. I wonder why. It made 110. <laughs> what so year was this? 2002. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So right after Atlantis. I like how we'll both And there were in talks for a second one, but it got cancelled after the it failed, basically. Big oof. Um... Well, the one I got, one I put up, the one I put up is 1950. Okay, no, 2002. <laughs> but I looked up the Disney version. What the? What um, the? What? With a budget of 140, made 110. So honestly, uh, it's not it, too far off, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, when <laughs> you go from making dollar loss, well, yeah. and when you go from like Aladdin that I think only had like a 30 million dollar budget and it made 250 why, million. Why was it so expensive? Just some of the animation styles they did. They really pushed it, like, mm. uh, like. They pushed. They did a lot of that three Ds, that two point five D stuff, yeah. and like a future would do it cheap. <laughs> it was, it was fine. Like okay. it wasn't like, kind of in the same realm as Sinbad. I don't know if you've seen oh, Sinbad. I Sinbad. Um, so weird that I feel like I've like completely shifted tone in this latter part of the year with watching all these animations, but. Yeah, I, yeah. As opposed to like the Inside Lawn Davises you're watching in episode one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's just like we talked about this on the show. We haven't done an animated film for the the main How film of the not? week. Wow! 
And I, oh, I guess Toy Story 3. We did Toy Story 4. 4. Four. Sorry, yeah. beg my pardon. But, but I'm talking not like, a 2D that, animation. like a classic, yeah, classic animation. So that may be something we need to address. But Yeah, I think next year we can do a lot of like, because you said classics as well as those 2D classics. Yeah. I think we got a lot of them in there. Um, So it was fine. Like mm. it wasn't bad. Had a good, it actually it almost felt bad. It almost <laughs> felt like it was kind <laughs> of slightly <laughs> a derivative, <laughs> like, well, it, Guardians was derived from the structure and okay. the mysticism ideas of this. And But this is a film you? that, like Jack and I both agreed, it, it's also another live-action candidate. Mm. That needs, they need to stop. They need to move away from these... Stop doing Bloody Lady and the Tramp. Like, the, the ones that are easy. Do the ones right. that people didn't watch. Like, the, ma- like the parents didn't watch. Because you know what would be more marketable? Getting the parents to go see the live-action version, and the kids never saw the animated version. So you're getting two generations of people going to see your movie because well, I think that's what they're intrigued. trying to do anyway. But it's just they pick the easy ones here, right? But it's like yeah. But it comes back to it's like things like Beauty and the Beast or Lion King. They didn't need those. Mm. They have really good movies already. These movies didn't get the push they deserve, and now they're you know let's give mm. them the live-action opportunity because the stories there are always tight and quite well thought out. But they drag them out in the yeah, well, and, and they add characters that don't need to be in them just because mm. they want the toys. You know, it's a big executive, and it's like that's <laughs> the worst part. And really, it's just it's a it's an adaptation of Treasure Island. Mm. That's the whole thing. I right, keep forgetting. Jake. I keep forgetting I'm bold. I just keep touching myself. Yeah, because you're down to a number number one. Basically, might as well be a zero at this rate. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you, Jake? Um, well, I went in the opposite direction as you. I've actually watched. Um, well, I watched a lot of live action, a lot of serious stuff mixed in there. Mm. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to start from, uh, so I've got three films I want to talk about here real okay. quick. I'll start, I'll start from the ones that I like the least. Okay. And I'll start with the Sisters Brothers, which you lent me a few weeks back. Yes. I finally caught it. And I remember you not being hugely into it yourself. That's fine. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's fine. The performances are good. It's probably Phoenix's not, or probably my least favorite performance of his. It's okay. like the least transformative. I think, like but he it, transforms in her and Joker. It doesn't makes transform me happy to film. see John C. Riley in the main. He's seat. great. Yeah, he's great. Um, and the chemistry's good because he doesn't get enough frontman roles, mm. and that always like frustrates me a little bit. But it was good to see him, and it was a really strangely strong four man cast. Like, like right with Jake Gyllenhaal, and I actually found it funny um, that they cast the two guys from Nightcrawler. Like yeah. they put it back together. I was like, "Oh crap!" Because I was like, "Where do I know this guy from?" And and that yeah. was what it was from. But um, he doesn't really get much of a revenge for what happens to him in Nightcrawler. No, I thought that at first because remember he pulls the gun on him early mm. in the film, and I was like, "Oh, there's gonna be revenge." And up, oh, never mind. <laughs> I mean, it was like it was a, a, a good smaller film, but it wasn't mm. like anything that I really particularly. Doug, I yeah, guess. I, I, yeah, I, I just I didn't get into the story. I I just didn't care for it. Another you know, western, kind of exactly. It's a well-made western. Mm-hmm. Like it looks great. The um the sounds really great. Like when they're shooting guns, it feels real. It yeah. feels really cool. Yeah. Like just the sound effect of that. And and I like I like because it's, uh, we don't really see films in the eighteen fifties all that much. Yeah, they tend to be later than that. So it was cool to be like, oh, what's a toothbrush or. Um, what was the other one? Oh, like the flushing toilet when he just goes, he's like, oh my god, check this out! Like when they're in the big. So I thought like stuff was that was cool, and I want to talk about the fucking spiders. Oh, when he yeah. throws up the. Oh god, that was nasty. It sort of was, that was more nasty, like. Man. <laughs> a, 
I think this film did something that not many Westerns do, and it became more about the reality of living in this time more than... I love that part of it. Um, rather than, uh, yeah, oh, big shoot-em-ups. Because it's like the yeah. few shoot-em-ups that do happen, I think the one at the start is in the darkness of night, and we can we as the audience barely can see... We can barely, barely can see, see what's going on, yeah. yeah. But um, that was something I took away as well. It was the harshness. Because I think the, the back of the, the Blu-ray you lent me says something like one of the themes is, oh, learning how to be to be a man sort of thing. Yeah. Which I got I got that. And I got the whole relationship with the, the family mm-hmm. and them wanting to go in different parts of their lives. Yeah. And ultimately coming back. Uh, I don't know, I guess I won't spoil it, but what happens at the end, the decision they make um, to, to reunite with a certain character um, again, I liked all these elements to it, but I just didn't care about it. I didn't care what I was watching. I was kind of bored, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Because you're right, great talent, great filmmaking. I just couldn't care for it. Mm. I don't know. But then I went into Love, Simon, which okay. I finally watched. You, So you've seen it. I haven't. I oh, think. okay. I think I have. Right. I kind of liked it. It's more one of those films that it's like I get stuck in... Like, you watch the trailer, and it's like, I don't want to toot this, like, because it might be mm. a bit, but I don't like films that are very, like, come, I'm not huge coming of age, and okay. this one's, he's, it's he coming gay? of age, yeah, so it's, it's him coming being out. closeted again, and yeah, that whole so journey. Had a lot of them in the last decade. Mm. I don't, I like them yeah. when they're done right. No, but I think you're right. We're oversaturated. We have oversaturated. In stuff like this. I think this film does a decent job at it. I think the actual story and, like, the, the, the decisions they make, mm-hmm. um, I actually quite, liked and I thought the casting was really clever like he's not a very overtly gay like it kind of makes sense that this guy that no one can really tell the assumption is just like oh well he's just a single dude Mm -hmm. you know and you know you get your offhanded comments of like oh she's hot that kind of thing but I, I I just thought it was nicely done like I never felt that it was hammering into anything I never felt any real melodrama in there mm-hmm. it may be a tinge towards the end but even then it's still like cleverly sort of plotted things to get his friends to turn against him at one point and I think that stuff yeah I mean I, I come I back I haven't seen films like I haven't seen Call Me By Your Name or I haven't seen mm, okay I haven't seen Lady Bird I haven't and, seen Lady Bird either and I haven't seen like, but I've seen things like Edge of Seventeen and yeah. and Eighth Grade is another one in there. And I haven't seen yeah, I haven't seen Eighth Grade. But Wallflowers is still Wallflower, the best one. I was about to say, That's still the best one. And that one came at the start of the decade. Yeah. So, um, like, we're nearly a decade on from Wallflower, yeah. and if I reckon, yeah, I think you might be right. I think that still might be my favorite one from that sort of category. And because it what really does doesn't turn out the way you expect that film. Yeah, but doesn't that feel like just a diminishing return? Then, if that's the best we could get, like at the start of the decade, it never innovated from there. Well, I wouldn't say they didn't innovate, but it just I mean, they might have played a little safer. I'm not saying that Wallflower isn't a safe film. Well, this, it is kind of safe. I but... remember this. I mean, this film's got. Really positive reviews. I remember when it came out, people who saw it. I remember walking through shopping centers and being like, "Oh, I saw that Love Simon," and it was a lot of those younger teens, like fourteen, yeah, fifteen-year-olds. Yeah. It's a good market for them because it's it's something that's a pot. Like it comes back to like I don't want to put on my studio hat, right? Yeah, but if I am a guy who wants to try and market to preteens or early teens. This getting a bunch of seventeen-year, eighteen-year-olds with coming out stories or progressive narratives. That's what they want to see now. That's what sells. And that's why there's so many of them in the last decade. Yeah. Well, no, it's you literally just nailed it on the head. And that's mm-hmm. something I remember in, in high school when I heard mm-hmm. media teacher. We were talking about like a One Direction 
yeah. thing. And he was saying, well, who this video full of, what, 17-year-olds, who's it aimed at? It's aimed at 13-year-olds who, who want to be that in just a couple of years. Yeah. And, it's and like, I always took that with it's, me. It's why, like, sadly, shows like 13 Reasons Why gets such mm. a... Such a well, they get three seasons for starters. Um, <laughs> They're getting a fourth, yeah. Yeah, oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> uh, I, oh, I, I no. remember. I remember back in the day where it's like you watch, like you, like you, when I was when I was that age, and you or, or like nine, and you watch a Nerf ad, and fourteen year olds are playing with Nerf guns, right, and you're yeah. a nine year old, and you're like, and that's you're like, cool. that's me in a few years. That's, I'll be so there. The I'm going to buy a Nerf gun. And it's exactly like now you watch is. that and you go like, dude, there's no way those guys are like man children playing with Nerf guns, like because they know they're targeting. Yeah, that's exactly. And that's exactly what these films are for. They're they they're there, and it's like it's good, I guess, to have films that are like, I mean, like Perks. Perks does have its low points, but for the most part, every character ends up pretty okay. Like for the most part. Oh, you mean all, like at the end? Like Perks being a wallflower. Yeah, yeah they all kind of get there. They get a happy ending, but it is it is a surprisingly dark journey some of them have to take. Yeah. I think it's um yeah, if you watch that film, it's like every other film just feels like cuz that film is so positively regarded. It's like I right. feel like just a lot of studios watched that film and went, "Oh, we need more of those films." Oh, Paul Rudd's the cool teacher in this one. Let's get Woody Harrelson in Edge of Seventeen to be the cool teacher. I liked him in Edge of Seventeen. Exactly. Of course you do. Because he's meant to play a (laughs) likable, relatable. We all had that one likable, relatable teacher, right? That we all bounced off. It's it's Yeah. But look, look, I think it's similar to Gifted, where I think it's it's good in its harmlessness. Serviceable. Serviceable. Yeah, I think it's I think it's better than serviceable, but I wouldn't go around saying this is the best film I've ever seen. You know, okay. it's 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 quite good. But I did specifically write in here before you even mentioned it, not as good as Wallflowers. Okay. Um, which is fine. And the last one I want to mention that I was surprisingly quite into, mm-hmm. going back into another film where like Brian Cranston's the 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 second lead in a random sort of thing. I saw Last Flag Flying. Which I didn't realize till after I watched it was um, Linklater. Yeah, that was one that I've always seen and been like, why haven't I watched that film? Because it's three three leads, isn't it? It's Carell. It's Carell, Fishburne, Cranston. and Cranston. Yes, it's three notable people. Yeah, and it's interesting because I would have, I wrote this down, I would have liked to have seen a version of this film that had a little bit of a different direction. Maybe a bit of different cinematography. I feel I didn't think the cinematography is amazing, mm-hmm. um, and I would have liked to have seen this story with three uh, unknowns. That being said, they are excellent, and Cranston's really good in this. Mm-hmm. Like I've kind of, I know his idiosyncrasies now. Like mm-hmm. when I watch Trumbo, I just see when he does like a like uh, like a shocked face. I just see the Walter White shocked face. Mm-hmm. So despite that, I can still recognize he did a really damn good job playing this sort of. Well, he's well past his um, veteran days or his, his non Was it days. better than Everybody Wants Some? <laughs> well, I haven't seen Everybody Wants Some. Oh, my God. I know. I no, but, just... but look, look, look. It's um, such a good film. They're really good. I think Carell... I wish he had more to do because he has a really fascinating character to work with here. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's given a lot of room. While Cranston's given plenty of room. And he does do a great job with that room. But I was just surprised at... Well, first off, their chemistry is really great between the three of them. The the commentary it had on government and military and our sort of appreciation for that, mm-hmm. like how much patriotism should we have for our military? Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I was a little like, whoa, okay, there's a bit of, 
like more there's more questioning of that value than I would have expected to come out of an American film. It's which fa- I really like. It's so strange with him because with Linklater, it's like you go from like freshman boys three days before their university, you know, their right, university yeah, yeah, year yeah. starts. Or in Dazed and Confused, it's just teens out in the town partying or boyhood mm. following a boy becoming a man. Yep. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got really kind of melancholic films. Like, yeah, this is. Uh, and then you've got dark. School of Rock. <laughs> I love School of Rock, though. but it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's no, I mean, I appreciate crazy. it. I hope that I can be the kind of director that can flip flop that much, like yeah. tonally, that I can have that room. That, yeah, you know, as much as I respect the the Tarantinos and the Andersons out there. I don't want to be like them. I want to have that more flexibility than they have. Yeah, fair. But, um, which which um, Linklater seems to have. Mm-hmm. But, again, going back to this, it is a melancholic film because some of this, I won't get into it, but Steve Carell's character in this has every reason to be, like, destroyed by life. He is in a really terrible situation, and he plays it quite well mm-hmm. and quite... Um, it's quite a honed-in performance, I think. And they never... There's a great scene where he... Uh, there's, like, he opens the casket. And this is a scene where you imagine him breaking down. And he kind of does. But we do see it from far away. Like, it's a wide angle. We're seeing it mm-hmm. from the perspective of other characters who are talking... Just casually talking over this moment of him way far in the frame, like, breaking down at this site... And even then, like, you don't even need to see it. The, just the idea, the concept of what he's looking at is like, whoa, that, that's really intense. So it's interesting from that perspective. They do kind of, instead of being melodramatic, they show you real dramatic tension and then they almost put it from the perspective of someone who doesn't give as much of a shit. Mm-hmm. But I really do like them. Like I said, there were some moments where I was like, man, I wish this was lit better. I wish the direction would do this instead. But... Okay. Um, I really liked it. I was like, man, this is actually... It drags, it's slow, mm-hmm. it feels like a hangout movie for half the time, where it's like, can we just get this mm-hmm. plot going? But it really, really... Uh, it took away a lot from it. I took a lot away from this film. Okay. So, and um, if it was... Because I think it was an Amazon film. If if it was, like, eligible for rewards, I think Cranston could have got a best supporting for this. Oh, really? He was really good in this, yeah. Okay, well, maybe I'll have to give it a watch. I've been so always on, I the, recommend it, yeah. on the fence about it. Uh, is that what you've caught this week? That's it for me. I have one more Ooh. this week. Uh, I told you about it. Uh, you actually brought this up, I'm pretty sure, on episode one or two. Whoa. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph breaks the internet. <laughs> Back on the Disney train. Um, um, that was early for me, Or yes. Ralph breaks the internet, I guess it is, because, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the whole title, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, this movie was like... <laughs> I did not enjoy this movie. Oh, no. I really didn't. Um, I was not a huge fan of the first uh, Wreck-It Ralph movie. But I figured, I was like, oh, I've got a few to burn through on the Pixar. Is this Disney Pixar? Does this count as Pixar? Uh, no, it's not Pixar. So it's just Disney. It's Disney, yeah. It's so weird. They do their own, like, um, bloody, um, is it Monica? Is that the name of the film? Monica? No, oh, the, the one with the rock in it. Okay, I'll have to have a look. Whatever that one is. Um, um, they do their own stuff, Disney. I have to get through all of these ones, too. i got to get through Coco. i got to do Coco. Coco's P- Pixar, yeah. Yeah, so i got to do the Pixar ones, too. Um, but, yeah. Um, this was an ad- one big advertisement, as much as the Emoji Movie got got shit on for this, and I don't think 
Ralph breaks the internet should be any better. Because... Oh, I, I do remember it being like ridiculous with its like, look at all our apps and social media references. And it's basically just showing how big the Disney conglomerate is, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, because they got all the Disney and Star Wars characters in there too. It's like, come on, guys. In, in, in counter to this, um, the whole meta commentary on the Disney princess formula, I think, is absurd and really frustrating because they talk, they're basically acknowledging how. Like they're trying to retcon how feminine each of the female right, characters okay. are, just to be like, "Hey, look, we're being, we're being feminist." Supportive. We're aware of what we're doing, but we're still the same company but that here's made the money. these. <laughs> here's the money, please, though. Like, right. we still want your kid dressing up like Jasmine, but she's an empowered. I was stupid. It's stupid, and it's stupidly. <laughs> so, it's like self-aware, but it's self-aware. It's got selfish intentions, right, and, you okay. know, and and for people to watch that nowadays and be like. Oh, they're, tr- they're trying to wreck, wreck on the di- princesses. How progressive of Disney. Right. No, they're just trying to make money off you. They just want your money. And they know that right now it's the socially good thing to be like, and it should be, but it's like the socially good thing to be like, oh, our characters, uh, we don't need a big strong man to save us. And it's like, it's a fairy tale, right? Like they're, they're, they were, there's both sides of the spectrum. Like you mm. can't wreck on Cinderella. I'm sorry. You have 70 it's years too late with for that. Yeah, it's like, you know, do it with your new properties, with Moana and stuff like that. And it's That's like, what I was, yeah. Yeah, you know, do it with Frozen. Frozen has two female leads. I just, like, stop, like, stop trying to pretend like you... Or even Wreck-It Ralph, like, the female. Oh, yeah, like, she's, uh, Penelope. Penelope's fine. She's just yeah. a kid. There's nothing wrong with that. And he's a dumb, Stuffy he's dumb stupid John C. Riley with his voice, like... Oh, now he's dumb and stupid. No, I love, yeah. I love John C. Riley. But this film, this film really was struggling to find a plot and I'm sorry but it's one big advertisement because yeah. the Look, plot is any of that. they're insecure about their friendship but the fact of the matter is by the end of the first film they were really good friends and she wants a change of pace and he's possessive but it's like she didn't want to change a pace until they they came up with the second idea. I'm sorry. I just, I don't agree with the motive because she, she didn't want anything in the first movie to be in the game. That was the thing. Right. So, what, is she just never going to be happy with her lot in life? Is she just going to keep moving from game to game when she's ever, like... It's like it's, Diane from BoJack. It's a bit silly. <laughs> she needs antidepressants. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's BoJack, Jake. This is a Disney movie where they're like, well, we need to find a second movie to somehow shoehorn in and retcon all our Disney stuff and really showcase how big we are. And, oh, look, it's... A, like, they didn't use YouTube, they used BuzzTube, whatever they called it. BuzzTube. Like, it's so stupid. Yeah, buddy, BuzzTube. The plot, like, it's so non-existent. <laughs> it's so, I can't wait for the third one to be, like, the X-Rental of Disney movies, where they're, like, the arcade <laughs> shutting down. <laughs> Let's look at how nostalgic this film's uh, going to be. Will it be as good as X-Rental, though, is the uh, question. I'm sorry, I was just... I never thought the first film was that good, but, like, at least it had, like, a relatively concise plot. Yeah. I Look, I like the first one, for memory. It's been a while since I've seen it, actually. I, I think it, <laughs> yeah. I really just couldn't get past the advertisement stuff and just, like, I, it's the Emoji Movie. I'm sorry. It is. <laughs> it's a little bit more comprehensible than the Emoji Movie, and it doesn't have Patrick Stewart as a shit, but... <laughs> but it's... it's, 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 it's still an unashamable advertisement that. that's... Literally a platform to try and retcon all the princess stuff and being uh, like, oh, they're all in their cutesy oh, dresses. But it's like, 
<laughs> and then like, oh, she's in a hoodie now. Now they're all in their hoodies. And then, oh, it's, isn't it funny? Because Ralph's now in a Disney princess dress and they saved the big strong man. Oh, stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> so right. you didn't like the movie very much? No. Well, I like, I like, my brain was just numb on it. It was just like, just it was just, give a shit. fill it up, fill it up. But anyway, um, yeah, so I'm having to move into career stuff. You are? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as we alluded earlier, we've finished our, we've finished our course, finished our third year films. Let's Congratulations, sir. Beautiful. We did it. We did it. We celebrated with a cheeky, some cheeky cat empire. So yeah. Was nice. Got to meet the band. That was pretty sweet. That was pretty sweet. Just a humble brag. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Weird flex book, code for it. Um, no, so uh, those are done now. I know, well, we had Danny on the show last week. I think she's exporting like an updated version of Yaha. I think they wanted to do some extra color stuff mm-hmm. uh, for the showcase this Wednesday. Yep. So if you're around Perth, you want to go to Murdoch's, uh, I think it's called What's in Store Art Showcase sort of thing. Cool. Uh, interesting name. Um, <laughs> so if you want to go on Wednesday, check out um, our films, which will be Waiting Room, Hitched, and Yaha. Yeah. So there you go. And, All uh, on the big screen. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. We still don't know what's going we on. We don't know what's going on. They might actually not show it at all. <laughs> watch it. Don't watch it. It's a film. We move on. Careers uh, are careers. Careers are meant to be moved. How's how's X Rental doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty good. Yeah, got like five hundred views in its first week. Pretty Congra- happy with that. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. VFOB's almost got a thousand actually. Oh, also congratulations. It's like nine nine zero. So he's gonna watch it like uh, ten times. I might as well at this point. Yeah. I'll just push everyone myself. <laughs> well, this film's really good. Click, click, click. Well, I think it's time <laughs> for uh, us to move into the movie of the week. Ooh. So, Jake, what are we watching? We're watching Knives Out. I am Detective Lieutenant Elliot, and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. We understand the night of his demise. The family have gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. How was it, by the way? The party? Pre my dad's death? Oh, it was great. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to request that you all stay until the investigation is completed. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. I'm gonna live. When a crime novelist dies just after his 85th birthday, an inquisitive detective arrives at his estate to investigate. Mm, he soon sifts through a web of red herrings and self-serving lies to uncover the truth behind the writer's untimely demise. This film was directed by Ryan Johnson. Woohoo! My boy Ryan. Came out on the 20th of November 2019, although I think... I think you saw it a little bit. I saw it the weekend prior. I think they had preview screenings on. Let me see when I went. I saw it on the 23rd. So that weekend, they had some preview screenings. Look which, at you. Which, here's the thing. Usually, I would be like, I would announce that on the show. I'd be like, oh, because I'm trying to do that now. When we get to our next week on the show, I try and find kind of secret screenings of stuff mm. um, to help our local audience out. But for that one, I was like, nah, I want to surprise you. Yeah, so, you did surprise me. I managed to catch this film. Uh, strangely with my mum. I don't normally nice. catch films with my mum, but uh, we just went last Thursday. I think it was. Yeah, Thursday. Very nice. That was pretty sweet. Um, yeah? My initial reaction is I enjoyed this film. Nice. Uh, All right. We'll see you guys. 
Um, no. no, I I I really liked it too. I alluded it. <clears throat> excuse me. I alluded it to being a very fun film last week, and I did not end up recatching it. Mm-hmm. So we both only seen it once, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I don't personally think this film has a lot of rewatchability. So yeah, I mean, shockingly, you showed us a thing on Instagram. Was it Instagram? Ryan oh, Johnson. Ryan, he just posted it. Yeah. Just saying thank you for everyone who's enjoyed the film, but he says go watch the second time. Uh, he says it's better the second time. But I don't think I can buy that. I don't know. Mm. I don't know how I feel about that because I don't know if it is because you lose a lot of the, the punchy audience reactions. Right. Well, did you have a good audience? No. Yeah, I didn't either because it was a gold class. There was only like six, six, seven people in there. And I think I only had about, yeah, about... 10, 15 people. Some old, old folk. Most, yeah, mostly old people. Which is really interesting because it, I don't know, why does this film appeal so much to a more mature demographic? Well, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, you've got your classic genre. Yeah, I was going to say because it's the. I mean, I wrote, I wrote, if you go on Wikipedia, there's a ton of um, film inspirations that, that Ryan Johnson's come out mm-hmm. and said, just some of them. I got like The Last of Sheila, Murder on the Orient Express, and specifically the original mm-hmm. one. Uh, Something's Afoot, Murder by Death, Death on the Nile, uh, Death Trap, un- uh, Evil Under the Sun, like all the... Uh, Clue, of course. But like, these aren't films that came out yesterday, you know? So mm. maybe that's a big factor is like, I, th- I think the mature audience are more drawn to this kind of whodunit classic storyline. Yeah, it's really interesting. Mm. I think this film actually debuted... Uh, oh, no, it all debuted on the same day. I was just having a quick oh, check. Oh, yeah, it got a worldwide uh, release, yeah. Um, I like, uh, and I'm already seeing this, um, did you say Death Trap by chance? I think so, yeah, that was in there. And that's really funny because what was that film? I think I talked about this in, like, episode six or seven, but it was mm. a film with Christopher Reeves and... Uh, oh, what's his name? Forgotten it now. The guy oh, plays okay. Alfred in Batman. Oh, Michael, um, Kane. Michael Kane, yep. yep. Um, yeah, and... You did tell me that, yeah. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that film and the twitzy, turny plot of it. Now, it was Sidney LeMay mm. who did 12 Angry Men. and Oh, yes. Yes. Um, haven't seen it. It's on the blacklist of things I, I need to watch. I almost did watch it a few weeks back and then we, sw- we swapped over in like the first minute. Yes. I think mean, I, was, I was with someone who's like, I can't do black and white right now. I was like, oh, yeah. whatever. So, but... <laughs> Definitely the vibe when we were when I was watching Knives Out, I was like, "This is like kind of like Death Trap." Has mm. a lot of floating camera stuff, um, mm. a lot of like uh, accusatory. I, of course, in Death Trap, the dynamic is only between three characters, okay. whereas this is a more a dynamic between wider, yeah. six or seven characters, especially. Particularly, right, okay. I mean, the, the, I think the three focal point characters, other than um, obviously Detective played by Daniel Craig and. And, um, and um, the the girl, I'm probably going to butcher her name, uh, Anna D. Ummers. Who was phenomenal in this. She's phenomenal in this, um, absolutely. And he's great too. He is great. He's so fun. Um, <laughs> but obviously the three main culprits are Michael Shannon, uh, like the three like main focal point characters. Right. Like it's, um, what, who is it? It's Michael Shannon. I'll uh, just have a quick peruse. Yeah, just um, a class and a cast rather, not class. Jamie Lee Curtis, don't know how I forgot that, and Don Johnson. So mm. um, obviously the two siblings, and then uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's husband are the three sort of, and then of course uh, uh, Chris Evans. Yeah, who comes a, a little later, one. but at first it definitely appears yeah, to be barely in the first act. Yeah, like in the first act, they're from, uh, oh sorry, and Tony Collette, but my partner, there are four of them. Oh yeah, yeah, Tony Collette's big in the suit. Um, 
brilliant casting choices, like all around. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, of course, um, Plummer as the man himself. Yes, the the victim. Yeah. Of this. Um, okay, so I suspect foul play. I don't know how much of this we can talk without delving into spoilers. Yeah, let's. Um, I think we will put the spoiler cap early on this one because you're right. It's it's hard. To it's talk a mystery ab- film. Yeah, we can talk about stuff very vaguely. I guess performances but... are a big thing. Everyone really does uh, kick butt in this film. They all play their roles damn near perfectly. Mm. Um, I think this is why I enjoyed. Um, I know it's the remake of Murder on the Orient Express, but I enjoyed right. that casting too. Everyone was casted pretty well in that too. Mm, yeah, I don't really care for the Death on the Nile sequel because the casting is like, <laughs> it's like gone from like an A list panel to like a <laughs> C or D list panel. Whereas this is like, this is probably mainly B's. I'd say like with. Evans probably being the only A. Evans is probably... I mean, he gets a pretty Craig. high credit probably because of his Marvel Well, I was going to say Craig and him... And obviously Bond, yeah. Yeah, but everyone else sits on the... Like, they're really good actors, obviously, but they're more put yeah. to the demoted supporting cast group. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, that's, that's one thing I want to point out. Um, first, if you talk about the moving camera, I mean, that's mm-hmm. just that's just Johnson's style. Like, there's so much of that in Looper and, and Last Jedi as well, the very flowy camera movements. Um, yeah. Very particular camera, and I think it works beautifully in this. Like the film has such a beautiful pace; it does not feel like two hours ten minutes at all. I finally figured out where the kid's from. That Jaden Lebanon. Oh yeah, he's in it. He's in it. Yeah, he looks so much older in this. I like, think they just didn't de- 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 I was about to say the de aging <laughs> stuff, right? We all talked uh, about. Oh. So he's like, I was like, thing was, I'm like, where do I know from? He's 16. So oh well, there you go. Yeah, yeah I can buy his 16. Then you, another young Ling, you got Catherine Langford as well, who she had very little to do in this. Yeah, I, I, don't. I, I don't know. Yeah, her characters could have been played by anyone. Uh, no. to be honest, it's it's weird because having just seen Love Simon, she's a big part in that too. Was she in that? Yeah, she's like the second or third. She's like a really close friend to the main guy in Love okay. Simon. She it, good in it. Uh, look, the thing. See, I think she's actually really good in the first season of Thirteen Reasons. There's certain scenes. That towards the end of the season, if you know what I'm getting at, she's really good in those scenes, but then she's not really given much to do in this or Love Simon. I feel like she's always going to be stuck in. She's the pigeonholed. Th- she's been pigeonholed, yeah. yeah. And for some reason, it's like I know I'm probably taking the frustration from the show and pushing it onto her, right. which is wrong. But I'm sorry, you're pigeonholed in my in my head. I can't get. It. It's just like. When I saw Keith, uh, Lakeith Stanfield in this mm. film, I just think of yeah, him as the groovy great. dude from Sorry to Bother You. So yeah. it's like, well, he's playing this like kind of straight detective guy. He actually or, gets a fair bit to do. I like it. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just kind of like, all I want to do is be like, I, I saw you with horse people earlier <laughs> this year. <laughs> so, and he's in Bojack. He plays Guy. Yeah. He's really good in that too. Look, I think, he's I had think a good right. year, man. He's, oh, a, he's really got good. a good couple of years. I'm I really was, happy. Because I didn't realise he was in it until I started watching. I was like, oh shit, that's awesome. He's like such a chill vibe. I'm like so glad that we have another, like, like another younger, younger dude coming along. How old is mm. he? He can't be that old. He must be in his twenties. He is actually he might be early twenty eight. So oh, there you go, twenty eight. Plenty of plenty of years ahead of him. I think the thing with uh, Langford is she is one of the only characters that doesn't get time to shine. And I think the, I forget his name, but the guy from It, he doesn't really shine in this he film. Say anything, really. He's just there. He literally is there to. Be like, oh, I eavesdropped on this one conversation. conversation That's yeah. his entire role, other than to be a Nazi. But I, I, <laughs> he's a Nazi. Yeah. Um, 
I do kind of, I'm okay with both their characters because their characters are totally catalysts to the older guys who are pulling all the strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she ki- does have the like the phone call later on with with uh, well, that's the, the thing because the they're, does they're intimidated by their parents and relatives. Really, yep, both yep. characters are. They both are only there to crowbar a little bit more information into the mystery because yep. you don't ever suspect them, and nor should you because really neither of them have motivations mm. to do anything. Both of them essentially just leech off the fortune like everyone else, but they're, they're subdivision of it. Yeah, exactly. This is why Chris Evans' character is so intriguing, because he's actually broken away from the mould. Yeah, he's, the, he's definitely he's just the, the clear... Um, what's the word? Like, the, the exception to the family. Well, he's the black sheep, yeah. as a lot of the characters brand him as. And, it's, and that's interesting, because it's like... Because he's managed to break away from the family ties, mm. then... It makes his character like that outlier, whereas like and you know, and it makes his introduction all the more intriguing. So especially because you're right, it comes quite late into the film. It comes like I don't know it's where the good, acts like, start and finish hour. in this film. I'm really I would really have to like think about where the say, acts happen. I'd say probably the first act ends when he brings her on under like the understudy. Probably sort of just after he's interviewed. Um, I keep forgetting the. I should have a name actually. Let me bring up a name. Because I don't want to say the actor. Or Jamie Lee Curtis or... No, 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 no. Um, oh, Anna Diamas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marta. Marta, yeah. Um, that, yeah. I think after that interview with Marta, or maybe even when he find, she finds him smoking in the dark, and, I he, think like and that's he says where the there's ends. more to this, that's, yeah. I think that's the end of Act 1. I think um, she should get a nod um, for, for supporting. Best, best supporting? Oh, fair I enough. Guess female, I guess she is female... I think you should have a better chance at supporting, though. You know, as much as I love the performance, I don't think anyone's going to get nominated in this. Just because well, I, I think it's just too... Is everyone still trying to recover from Ryan Johnson's... <laughs> no, it's not that. It's I think it's... um, This cast is so big and expansive, and the story's so fun. It just doesn't feel like an Oscar film. It might get a Best Original Screenplay nod. I could yeah. see that. But I just... Even Daniel Craig, I love him in this film, but it's not a performance that he's going to get nominated for. It's too fun, you know? Yeah, but Which I guess is a shame. I guess it comes back to I'd, I'd really need to sit down and review uh, the films that might get pushed at the Oscars. I mean, we've got the right. Got, well, if you go, you've got Leo from Once Upon a Time. You've got um, De Niro from Irishman. But do you really reckon you know? Leo from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood deserves more than Daniel Craig? I'm sorry, I, I think he I, does. I think he does. I don't know actually. I, no, he's got a, he he's. Maybe so much to do in once upon a time. I think I need to revisit it. But anyway, um, yeah, no, this film's really fun. Do we want to delve into spoiler territory? I think we have to at this point. Um, um, so yeah, where do we want to go from here? I think we got to go with the typical Ryan Johnson approach of breaking normal cinematic tropes and mm. <laughs> and uh, subverting expectations. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but it's like, and I'm we're never going to agree on the the Last Jedi stuff, but. I do like it in films that don't have strings attached to them, whereas Star Wars very right. much did have strings attached to them. And it works in this film. And it worked in Looper, too. Um, mm. So, and we haven't seen Brick. and Brick I've, is... seen, I've seen, like, the first half of Brick. Okay. And I adore it. But it actually is quite similar to Knives Out, because it's also sort of a detective story. Okay, so maybe he likes his detective stories. Mm. Um, so, basically, we end up seeing... Uh, Christopher Plummer's death quite early in quite the first early. act yeah. but it's it's still shot in a way where it, there's enough uh, 
asterisks next to it to still create mm. intrigue. Yeah. So it's a really good fine line to walk where it's like that, like in typical murder in mysteries, and if we want to just use murder on the Orient Express because it's probably the, the closest example, contemporary yeah, yeah. example. And I've, I've already been spoiled, so I don't care. Like um, how Johnny Depp's character is the one that gets killed. Mm. Um, I'm going to spoil it right now. You haven't watched it. It's got some cool cinematography. It's fine. It's a good 7 out of 10 film. Harmless. <laughs> I imagine um, probably it comes back to probably the original is better, but um, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> um, Johnny Depp's character gets killed in the first 20 minutes. And I'm sure a few people in Hollywood would like to kill him now. Oh, Whoa, um, hey. yeah, but um, yeah, and really it becomes a whodunit, but we never see him get murdered. We just see a corpse. Like gotcha, gotcha. He's alive and then he's not alive. And then it becomes analyzing the dead corpse and then uh, the detective working out. Who killed him? Mm. Very classic murder mystery formula. Well, it's quite linear in that sense. Yeah, it's this, a very linear thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You learn information as the as main... the characters do. Yeah, yeah. It's very uh, uh, subjective discourse mm. rather than objective discourse. Um, whereas in this film, we're actually subjected to an objective discourse, and well. And so, that sentence again. <laughs> so we are subjected to an objective discourse. We are. Right. Because we see Marta and Christopher Plummer's interaction. And we actually even see, we see Marta go the... back and see Christopher Plummer slit his own throat. Yeah, yeah. To the point where she gets blood on her shoes. And that's like in the first 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. 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 And from that point onwards, we are now going through the perspective of Marta trying to hide the information mm. that very much makes her look like... She is responsible the for this murder party, yeah, because she thinks that she's given him the wrong morphine dosage, and basically it's trying to hide the evidence from Daniel Craig and the other detectives, yeah. because we know the objective truth that, well, at least we think we know the objective yeah, yeah, truth, yeah. and that's really clever dynamic there, like of perspective. Yeah. That's when it felt like okay, here's Ryan Johnson's contribution to the genre, and I really, really enjoyed it in this this format because mm. it. It makes a what could have been a very linear, carried off the cast alone film. Absolutely, yeah. Into something that was a little bit bigger. Yeah, and it's it, like okay, I, the narrative's doing interesting stuff too. Yeah. And I'm really happy to finally have Chris Evans playing an arrogant douchebag character. <laughs> like he did it well in Human Torch. Like everyone forgets his Fan Four vibe, but he had it. Fan That's four. the guy he is. He is a rich, poncy-looking boy. All yeah. right. And he plays it to a fucking T. Right, yeah, film. yeah, yeah. Oh, well, like, he's having so much fun here, clearly. He's showcasing what he should have been. Like, you know when you think about well, it? Well, this was like two weeks after he wrapped on Endgame that they shot this. I think, it was like immediately you know he's probably, after. He was probably so excited to do this and not Endgame. Yeah. He was probably <laughs> so sick of playing the clean-cut nice guy. I think, guy. He, honestly, if you look at him and Scarlett did a like a uh, actor-on-actor talk in, mm-hmm. on Variety not that long ago, and you could totally tell that they just were like... Yeah, the Marvel shit. Yeah, but then this movie we did, yeah. like, you could tell. It's so clear that that's yeah, well, their I attitude imagine, to I imagine it. Scarlett Johansson's probably so happy about Marriage Story. Getting yeah, to, and like, JoJo, exactly. Getting, getting ready to flex a bit of her, you know, her actress muscles again. Yeah. Because she's gone back from chicken spandex that does flippy shit. <laughs> um, um, and he's oh, he's man. Mr. Patriot. Yeah, exactly. You know. Sweet boy. Yeah, I know he was all aged up in the end there, but that was probably a legitimate smile because he knew it was all over. <laughs> He's like, Marvel, like, do you want to come back and do another one? He's like, no, I don't think I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he played it so well. And, like, from the moment he enters in the scene, 
I feel like the film gets oh, a shot dogs, of adrenaline because yeah. mm. there was a little bit of like I feel like it started to. It was a slow start. It was a very slow right. burn. Well, it was very document. In the sense that it, it really started yeah. just we're going to interview what name, interview name, yeah interview. we're just going to start interviewing all the characters mm. and I was shocked at how easy the whole thing was to follow and each character I wasn't getting characters confused like oh wait who's this who's that because it sometimes that happens sometimes mm. I forget who looks like who and it helps that it's a star star cast yeah but I was glad everyone I could follow. Everyone also had very distinguishable looks. Yeah, like, exactly. And this, you got to give credit to Tony Collette. She's always like someone who so easily can just do any role. Really, she oh, just gets, she's incredible. Man. And like, I think she's one of those people that really needs to give her a bit of a Oscar push, guys. Come on, she's yeah, like yeah, legitimately yeah. amazing. Like every time I've seen Tony Collette in a film, it's been something completely different. Oh yeah, and that to she's me is phenomenal. Even Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, can we forget the fact like we saw Halloween what a year, a year ago? ago? Yeah. And she was awesome in that. <laughs> and then this one, she's like this... She's got it all together. She's not yep. frazzled. She's just like this really articulate, smart woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who really well, she's cares the mother, about her. She's the mother, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Of... Um, Catherine uh, Langford. Is that... No, no. No, she's the mother of... Of Tony Collette. Of, no, Chris Evans. And Catherine Langford, oh. uh, Tony Collette. Is the mother of Catherine Langford. Yes, gotcha, yes. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Cool. So that's the hippie side. Of the I family. know all this stuff. <laughs> um, yes, their son's Chris Evans. Yeah, gotcha. Um, the whole disappointment thing. Yeah, yeah. And you could sort of tell that there's definitely because they got like the hipster side of the the hipster side of the family, which is the Tony Collette Langford side, and mm. then the more traditional rich people one, which is. The Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. uh, Don Johnson, and Chris Evans side. Well, it's generational as well. And I think I think Chris mm. Evans is kind of mixed in between the the Tony Collettes and then the Catherine Langfords. He's kind of in the middle of those two generations, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I like because he's the one. He's the rebellious one, like full on rebel. Mm. And I guess you could argue that the the I forget his name, but the internet troll or the Nazi. He, you can argue that he's sort of rebellious, but he's like quiet. Jake. And well, he's passive. still he's still dressed in prep school get up though. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. He's. He's still very much going through the rich sort mm. of system. But, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this cast. They all worked well together. There's some really good dynamic stuff. Uh, I really, like, I think we need to talk more about the dynamic between uh, Marta and the detective. I think they mm. had a really good back and forth. Um, with um, Kiefer Sutherland, he, uh, like Keith Stanfield, beg my pardon. Yeah. Not Kiefer Sutherland. Um he he was also like they all had a really good dynamic the police side too, and it's like like yeah, we like said the because of, yeah. of this subversion of expectation it really switched the tone up a bit and left you conf- confused in a different way because then they introduced a blackmail situation yeah 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 um Chris Evans seems like the sympathizer yeah I mean he still has his own selfish motive but it's like it's it's still rooted in the good person. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. Well, he's, he's sort of... I mean, he's trying to frame Marta, but, yeah. and we are in spoiler territory, so it's, yeah. it's safe to say that Chris Evans is sort of the main culprit behind everything in this film. Now, I know it's wish-washy in a way. Well, yeah, because they had to get the other evidence yeah. to prove because, it. Yeah, because at the end of the day, he didn't actually kill the... Chris is Obama. it Fombry? What's his name? Uh, Harlan. I know it's, hmm? Harlan. Harlan. Yeah, let's just stick with Harlan. He doesn't, even though he attempts to kill Harlan, 
Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. And then that whole... It's actually quite clever how it ends up being the whole... She never actually poisoned him because of the weight. She just mm. knew from the weight of the bottles which one was which. And the, and the, the opacity. So one of them yeah, slightly more exactly. cloudy than the other one. Yeah, exactly. So, she, like, just that instinct of, like, a good... Mm. What, what's person, the word? No, nurse. Well, yeah, nurse. nurse that's good, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her job. I didn't want to say nanny, but you're right. Nurses, yeah. Mm. Um, but she's, like, just that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, I see what's going on. I don't think it's as clever as some people were saying it is. I think it's a fun, clever film. Some people have been like, this is, like, genius. Level. No, I, I, I mean, call it a genius. Level. Really, at the end of the day, it, it's not, like, it's more fun. And mm. I think the fun, the best parts of this film come like at the will reading, when that's, yeah, that's when fun. she gets told she's inherited everything, <laughs> and, and everyone like, just turns no, on her. No, yeah, and it that's comes awesome. and it comes back to that whole like he's like, oh, these will readings they're nothing, mm. and then like this one turns into one of the most like intense. Scene. And it, I like that scene because that sort of reminded me of the one in Budapest Hotel when. <laughs> With, with Adrian Brody. It's literally it. Where it's like this guy rocks up, this person that really... And he inherits, no like, basically ev- everything. Yeah. yeah. And because of that, like, that leads to sort of a... That whole borderline against the youth. Oh, of course, this one is definitely more grounded in reality. Like, all yep. these characters are doing more human sinister things rather than mm. in Budapest. It, it's always in the world of kind of the cartoony yeah, of, yeah. of Anderson, but... It's yeah. a fa- it's family dynamic. That's the thing. And I like that it shifts from the start. They're all very kind of careful to protect their relationships, but then it slowly unwinds that they've all got these little digs at each other, especially when Chris Evans comes in oh, yeah. and unwinds the whole thing. Now everyone's against each other, and then they all group against Marta when when necessary. Well, it's just like, yeah, thing. and you just look at that scene with like Michael Shannon in the hallway of mm. Marta's apartment home where a family oh, that lives. That was actually like terrifying and he's like slowly encroaching mm. on her and he's got a cane like he yeah. he's a physically crippled man but it cuts to the low but, angle of the cane yeah the sound it just gets you man. it was a, it was a very sinister thing she's a very like good she's, person yeah. and she's like but she's, there's that sense of um vulnerability to her yeah so like she's hiding for, stuff and yeah, he's yeah. pressing and he's threatening to throw their whole family out of the country it's stuff like and, that where it's like that's why I love Ryan Johnson as a director so much because he makes scenes like that work that on paper seem a little harder than you would imagine to make work. It's like, yeah. this is some guy that came bloody being like, oh, well, you know. What, this is some of the granted realism yeah. of like savage will readings, particularly mm. with if there's a lot of stakes in a will. If you have four or five people that feel like they're entitled to a portion of it and mm. yet one, and then. It's unsatisfied. This can bring the these will readings often bring the worst out of everyone, and yeah, and that was totally obviously Christopher Plummer's intention of <laughs> doing this to turn yeah to turn everyone. I mean, it's all encumbered in that last shot when she's looking at, and she's now got the mug of the yes. my house my rules. So, and I was like, that's a because cl- that's literally the first shot, of especially the film with too. her looking down on them on everyone. Yeah, it's really good. It's that really that's really great stuff. Now, I want to talk about. Because the will scene is when I was... Friend- so I went with my friend Mel, mm-hmm. and we both had very different um, ways of predicting the end of this film. Mm-hmm. As in, I was watching it, what I thought the film was going to be from a plot standpoint. Because mm-hmm. you're right, they subvert your expectations, they show the death where he kills himself very early on, and now there's blood in her shoe, she's trying to cover tracks... Uh, just so they don't think she was involved, even though she wasn't yeah. involved in the actual killing, and now she's in the will. So what I thought this was all amounting to 
is that this was going to be the unique twist of this girl who didn't have anything to do with this murder, Mm -hmm. but is now all the signs point to her, and it's going to be this fun game of, like, I thought that was going to be a unique twist of the whole film was going to be that. And they do sort of flip it back to its traditional roots in the third act, yeah. When it's like, oh no, it actually was Chris Evans, and here's the twist, and here's the twist, here's the twist yeah. here. Big monologue describing yeah. the events, yeah. Exactly, which I loved, but it's kind of the same thing he does in Last Jedi, where he starts with, you know, an old grumpy, uh, what's his name, Luke Skywalker, yeah. but it still ends on him being the sacrificing hero, where it kind of showcases this interesting subversion, but it still kind of ends in a traditional manner. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing happens in both films, which I thought was fascinating. But you're right. The division comes from the fact that Star Wars is established. Knives Out is his own thing. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. He can do whatever he wants in that. Yeah. So I think uh, that was interesting. I think the, the. I really enjoyed the ending too, where um, there's that big, almost that Game of Thrones, Iron Throne sort mm. of uh, spray oh, like of the knives. knives. Yeah. And, Beautiful set design. Um, yeah, it's really cool. And Evans obviously when being proven that uh, he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. And he's not going to be, obviously, he didn't kill Christopher Plummer, but he did. He's now killed killed, that other girl. uh, What's her name? uh, Assistant, um, Fran. Fran. Um, (laughs) And, of course, so he just goes, fuck it. And he goes to reach for one of the knives. And he actually technically succeeds in stabbing uh, Marta. Yeah, technically. Um, (laughs) However... It ends up being a prop knife, which is one that draws into itself when you yeah. stab. Actually. Which they establish earlier. They say not every knife in this house is real. Yeah, they and also that, that yeah. they both had a theatrical background. Mm. Like, and this is where the death trap stuff comes into play because okay. I know you haven't seen the film. Yeah, but there is a sequence towards the end of the film where Christopher Reeves and Michael Caine are always uh, accidentally killing each other because they're both rooted in theatre. <laughs> okay, so they yeah. like kill each other with a lot of prop things, which seems absurd and silly, but yep. it sort of adds to the twisty stuff because you don't know what's dead and what's not dead. And it's it's quite fun. That sounds awesome. It's actually a legitimate... <laughs> I've, I've got it on DVD. I'll give it to you. Nice. It's a really fun film. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool like last bit, especially Chris Evans' reaction as he's covered in spew. Yeah. Uh, that's a great like visual trick as well, her spew. mm I mean, I don't like people spewing in the- film, but I, I appreciate the... Like, that was a fun little... Oh, especially when they lie. joked about it being a metaphor. They thought it was just a metaphor, and then she actually yeah, goes she, up. Yeah. And they're like, so, oh, okay, then. Yeah. But that was a fun little visual thing to tell the audience before any dialogue spells. Yeah. Of this and that. I thought that was actually quite clever. I li- I personally like watching people throw up in film. That's weird. I, but okay. No, you want to know what it is? Because usually when someone fakes it, when it cuts away and you only hear a sound effect, I'm just like, nope, nope, I want to see it. I want to see the legitimate thing. And the Sisters Brothers does address that very nicely, I should mention. It's grotty. The throwing up in that scene is very good. It's always grotty. But, um, yeah. No, nope. I thought I thought this was um really wonderful. And uh, to quickly, because I actually forgot to make that point, because of my expectation of how it was going to play out, that it was all going to be about her digging herself into this well, mm-hmm. it maybe not predict the Chris Evans sort of reveal. Mm-hmm. While Mel, who I went with, she was looking at it from a very traditional genre-based uh, perspective. So she called it immediately. She was like, I knew it was him from like 30 minutes in the film. I was yeah. like, fair enough. Because I was looking at it from one thing, thinking it was going to go in that direction. That's probably the only thing I'm not sure I like about this film 
is I wish it kind of stuck to one or the other. Like, formula-wise? Yeah, like, I kind of wish that... Oh, I was doing this unique sort of structure mm. the first half. I kind of wish it stayed that way the whole way. I'm not I'm not married to it. I don't mind that it kind of flips the switch, but mm-hmm. that's like... I'm still not quite sure how much I like that. It's like my one thing with this film. This, it's a very this Ryan Johnson is, thing. This is, a, this, is a, this is a fun film. I enjoyed it. I'm not sure I will revisit it for a long time. Well, like we said, the second viewing feels unnecessary. Yeah, like it's like Murder on the Orient Express. I wouldn't revisit it because right. I, I knew that I didn't know the twist when I watched it, but mm. I know the twist now. Doesn't that the point of these films? I think were well, they were only meant to be watched once. Right. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of a compliment in itself to be like it got everything out in a very easy way to follow mm-hmm. in the one viewing. You don't need to go back a second. That's almost a compliment as well as a yeah, a coherent. Smart, educated, educated. Plot. Yeah. So, fair enough. What was your highlight scene, Jake? Uh, I had a couple. Okay. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the the dumbest car chase ever. I thought that was funny. I was laughing for that. <laughs> it's a weird car chase. <laughs> yeah, it can't go above sixty, and he's just calling her. He's like, just, "What are you? What are you doing? Just stop." Yeah. <laughs> um, and and again, we were talking about you know the big monologue with the reveal. Here are all the twists. I did like that scene. Yeah. Because um. Because, uh, Jesus Christ, um, Craig delivers it so well. Yeah. His performance is just so fun. My proper highlight scene probably has to be the scene where it's Marta and, and, and uh, Plummer's character, They that whole scene when he dies. Mm-hmm. And they're back and forth and then playing the game and then he realises and he's really calm when he knows he's like about to die and he's like, oh, I should write that down. It's actually kind of a clever death. And then he kills mm-hmm. himself. I actually really like this. I was yeah. like, that's odd. And then, of course, it comes in so early in the film that I was like, wow, okay, where are we going from here? You get really excited yeah, exactly. about that. So I think those are probably my favourite, like, scenes. Uh, oh, And, again, like, Evan's going to stab Marta. Like, just those shots. Oh, like and the in- follow down one? Yeah, when we're following down, it's in slow motion. Like, I just... It just looks great. It just yeah. looks really great. But what about you? Um... Intros to characters was really cool, like the documentarian mm. style. I really liked that. Yeah. Um, especially with the knives uh, out, sort of uh, thrown like the in backdrop. the background. Feels like an interview, eh? Yeah. And Purposely it feels, put there. feels like it's like, oh, this is going to be important later. Just remember this. Um, <laughs> I really like that. And that that way that was the way of subtly introducing Daniel Craig's character to the film. Uh, That's his... right. He has like a drawn out reveal with the piano, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah. So I really like that. I'd say that's probably my favourite scene. That or yeah, I mean the other ones you mentioned are all really fun, entertaining scenes, mm. and they're pretty much the best parts of the film. So yeah, nice. It was a really cool, cool experience. There I you go. Got real. I made audible reactions when Daniel Craig was monologuing at the end. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, oh, oh, you're, oh, yeah, you're into it, man. Yeah, I really nah, enjoyed it. It's so fun. Um, there's one uh, guest role that Ryan Johnson has in all of his films, and I didn't pick it up. Mm-hmm. I read this later. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in this film. Where? Apparently, he is a. I think it's only a voice. But he is one of the detectives, I'm guessing, during the car chase scene. Who's he can... in Last Jedi? Oh, he was, he was like Craig in Last Jedi. He was like one of the, the stormtroopers. You can't... Actually, I think it was a delete, deleted scene, actually. Oh, I think no. it's a deleted scene where Finn... The, the whole clan, they're sneaking into um, 
to get the the code, bro. They've already got the code, bro. Whatever. They're sneaking oh, you mean in when they were like jumping on horses and smashing through a casino, like in that really <laughs> cool CGI sequence that nobody ever asked for or wanted. Yes, I um, remember this scene. It was. It was well, they, they comment on not only do they comment on war profiteering, but they also comment on animal cruelty because they have to tick off every box of like world issues in this film. Uh, it was actually after that scene. Okay. <laughs> no, it was a deleted scene so where he's, he's a stormtrooper and he's like talking to. It's Finn. the most frustrating part of that film, and I've talked about it. Like the fact that they needed to shove in that many different world themes into mm. a Disney Star Wars movie was a bit much. Right. Focus on one. I'm like huh. I'm okay if you want to say Ray's not from a family of like force people. That's fine, but don't don't give me all of those extra characters. We had too many characters as it is. Star Wars is so saturated. I never even talked about the Mandalorian. Okay, sorry, Knives Out is out in <laughs> in cinema. I've always been on a tangent there. Uh, uh, almost. <laughs> I really enjoyed. No, I did enjoy this. That being said, about Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson has had two positives and a negative from me. I really enjoyed Looper too. Right. And I can't think of any other films. I've I think you'll really like Brick. Yeah. It feels very budgeted, though. Like, going to a knowing that it's basically yeah. like a disconnected. Like, okay. that's kind of their disconnected almost. Okay. Um, but it is really good. Actually, what was it? What was I going to say? I was gonna... He no, seems, I wanted... seems like a nice bloke. I think he is a nice bloke. Because I think, I think my main issue with The Last Jedi Detractors is how people talk shit about him specifically. Yeah, but that's, a, that's, the, that's what comes to being a director, Jake. Yeah, I know, you but go, no, you, you, no, no, but I'm saying like people. Was, I'm bloody having arguments. I sent it to you. People want him to bloody get hit by a bus. I'm like, the hell's wrong with you? Yes, but what I learned like in chill. Ralph breaks the internet is the internet is <laughs> bad commenters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, Knives Out is currently out yeah, in let's, cinemas let's near you. Uh, check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's probably one of the few fun movies in cinemas. Biggest right crowd now. you can get. Uh, biggest crowd you can get. But that being said, what is new this week in cinemas, Jake? Uh, quite a lot, actually. That uh, Adam's Family animated film is out. Oh my God, your, your knife's uh, knife. Ha! No, it's out. Your mic's getting messed up right now. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Adam's Family's out. I actually kind of want to see it. I don't. It looks yeah, fun. The Adam's Family animation one. Yeah. Okay. Um. That seems fun. Uh, the Good Liar with uh, Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren. I have to check this one because this one actually intrigued me. Uh, I think it's only out at Inaloo. That's the only place I can find screenings. But it is out this week. So you can go look for it. Are you give me a cheeky little research? review check. Review check. Six out of mm. ten. Okay, that's not bad. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, I, I saw... I can't say I've only seen good things on it because I literally just saw like a press thing on TV. It's like, well, of course they're going to say good things on it. It's on at Whitford's too. Sorry? It's on at Whitford too. Oh, sweet. Well, there you go. Um, By the Grace of God is at Luna this week. Uh, which made me think, well, when is The Two Popes coming out? It's coming out later in December on Netflix, but if you want to see it immediately, Backlot are doing a Thursday screening this week. I so don't care for that movie. No, it's, I'll, I'll give it a check. I'm not going to go out and see I'm not that keen on it, but I will watch it on Netflix when it releases, probably because there will be. it's going to get nominated for stuff, so I feel like I'm going to have to watch it anyway. But if you're really that keen on it, Backlot this Thursday, uh, get your premiere screening there. Another film called Black and Blue is coming out this week. I couldn't find it anywhere locally, so I don't know. It just came up on my flicks uh, research. So it's uh, Naomi Harris is a rookie cop being pursued by corrupt colleagues after accidentally filming them murdering a drug dealer in this crime thriller. So if that Mm -hmm. intrigues you, it's somewhere, apparently. Okay. I don't know if we can watch it here, but I don't know. Uh, Is it Kugo? A red dog story? What? Is it Kugo? It's K-O-K-O. K-O-K-O. 
Coco? It's like Coco. It might be Coco, a red dog story. You said K-O-K-O? Yeah. That's Coco. Yeah, but I always think Crash Bandicoot, Coco, C-O-C-O. Yeah, normally it is. Okay, so it's just a mess around. It's the Australian spelling, Australian, mate. mate. Well, there you go, mate. Oh, it's Australian. Anyway, it's a red dog film. We've had a million of them now. Isn't he dead? Doesn't he die in the first one? I think he gets hit by a bus, doesn't he? What? No, 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 no. He gets hit by... No, the guy dies. The guy who looks after him dies. He gets Uh, hit by a kangaroo. A kangaroo... This like gets more and more he's insane on a motorcycle. the more you talk. He's on a motorcycle. I'm pretty sure he gets oh, killed. Oh, and he drives him. into a kangaroo. Okay, yeah. okay. That is really Aussie. <laughs> yeah. you know, I've never seen any of those movies. I saw the first, like the one that came out in cinemas a few years. I think we saw it for school. Legitimately. We went on the tour, I think. Do not care for dog movies most of the time. They're just like, you know, like something bad's going to happen to the dog yeah. most of the time. Oh, it's always going to. It's know, a I, cheap, I, cheap way of feeling bad. You know, I rode a Harley um, motorcycle the other day. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, I don't have any photos of Hanoi, but like it was one of those tour things. I've never ridden on a bike like a motorbike before. It was my first time was ever. It, cool? it was pretty cool. I cool. shit myself though, because cars don't know how to drive. So I was like, we're going to get smashed and die. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Definitely no kangaroos in Freo though. No. So it was okay. Um, and I want to give another shout out. I forgot to mention that The Irishman did come on Netflix in the last week. So I'm putting it out there now. And of course, we did episode 43 on it. So if you've seen it, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have in the last few days, people, I think people adore it with you now. Who, I, who I've talked to. Over their 15 sittings. <laughs> well, my mum watched her three sittings. Yeah. But um, I watched the last hour again with her, and I was like, damn, this ending is phenomenal. I take back the whole... I don't want to get into spoilers and stuff, but when we talked about um, the, uh, the arc with his daughters, mm-hmm. I take everything I said back. I'm so glad they did what they did with that. It's pretty great. Because I was kind of like, oh, I wanted this, I wanted that, but I'm... They played it perfectly, I think. Yeah. So I take everything I said back. Great stuff. I think that might be one of the, like, like, I think that's Scorsese's best since The Departed. Whew. Going back 14 years there, I think. Yeah. Like I mean, I like Wolf of Wall Street, but this was better than, Irishman was better than Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It might, be my, it might be my fun watch. Like it might be room. my favourite Scorsese movie. Oh, Taxi Driver. Still probably going to be Taxi Driver. I need to rewatch Taxi Driver. When we do Maybe Taxi Driver, fellas. when we do Taxi Driver for the show, because we will one day, mm. um, I'm looking forward to rewatching it. Because then I feel like I'll really appreciate mm. it when we do it there. So there's one more coming out next week. One more. Yeah. And uh, it looks like we're going to be doing it for our episode 47. Jake, what are we watching? We're watching Marriage Story. <laughs> I realized I didn't ever really come alive for myself. I was just feeding his aliveness. I'll never get to really be his parent again. He needs to know that I fought for him. A stage director and his actor wife struggle for a grueling coast-to-coast divorce that pushes them to their personal and creative extremes. Who directed this? Uh, gosh, uh, I know this. Noah. I know it starts with Noah. Let me look it up quickly. Well, done. Was this like his first big thing? Was this his first big thing? I don't know. Noah Bumbach? Okay. What, I think that's it. Let's find else? out what Mr. Noah Bumbach has done. This has been getting some serious, like, vibes. So I've seen this already. I saw it a week and a we half. We talked about it last week I talked show. about it last week. So if you want to hear my immediate impressions, you can go to last week's first half of the show. Um, I really did like it a lot. I think you're going to like it. I'm just really curious how much you like it. Okay. Um, that's my assumption. All right. Oh, this guy's had an interesting career. He was a co-writer on Fantastic Mr. Fox, actually. 
but he also directed uh, De Palma, Mistress America, While We're Young, Greenberg. Uh, let's see. This doesn't sound like a lot of big things, though. Yeah, he's kind of been in and out. Um, the Maywitz Stories from a couple years back. Oh, yeah, I've always wanted to watch that. It's on Netflix. Uh, he... Oh, no, that's solo directed, sorry. Yeah, no, that's that's him. Okay. So, apparently... I say apparently, I have... He's actually co-written a lot of stuff with Wes Anderson. It's actually okay. really interesting. Life with um, Steve Zizou and all that. Did it get Wes Anderson-esque vibes, or was it very... Not at all. This is the, op- this is the opposite of style. Okay. Very much, very grounded, very much the actors carry the film. Um, excellent direction. I, I'm not going to do my review now. Yeah. But uh, definitely... Very interesting because I think he wrote, yeah, I think he wrote, directed, and produced this. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and it's got a ninety-eight percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Even though you don't like your Rotten Tomatoes, I do not like it. But I just saw it there. And I was like, that's pretty big. No worries. Well, we'll be watching that next week. Marriage Story. Uh, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Marriage Story.